Scott with SJWellfire.com. Final Days Report, episode 335. Kabbalah sex magic taught in our schools, talking about orgies, incest, blasphemy, all to receive blessings. I pray they receive a curse and to ward off demons and more. They even discuss in these colleges and universities how to set up witchcraft circles before the sex act, before the ritual, the sex ritual. And you know this is going to morph its way into high schools and eventually junior highs and probably elementary schools as well. Folks, homeschool your kids. And when your kids are ready to go off to college, I'd send them to a trade school. I'd help them start a business. It's evil, my friends. It's absolutely evil. And of course, this all starts with Cornell University. Under the Jewish Studies Program, this woman is actually going to do a webinar and review her book, Kabbalah and Sex Magic, A Mythical Ritual Genealogy. I'm going to play her interview at the end. I'm going to have three quick slides on some of the top line evil that I saw. And this might be one you want to make sure you get the kids out because it gets pretty graphic pretty quick. So let's read a little bit of her book. So now I'm going to tell you a little bit about the book. So this book tells one key part of the history of Western sex magic. There are a number of popular books. And thanks to Sarah, I'm assuming Sarah is on this webinar. I know that there are many articles now about sex magic. So they're teaching students about sex magic and its practice in many different settings. It's practice in meetup groups. This is about group sex at retreats by members of Kabbalah Center and even within the structures of traditional Orthodox marriage slash Jewish marriage. So this is all about orgies here, my friends. Orgies were in the Old Testament. Nothing new is under the sun. Let's continue. But what is sex magic and what does Kabbalah got to do with it? It's all witchcraft, my friends. As it's understood here, sex magic is ritualized human sexuality meant to access divine power for good. So it's a ritual for good, for blessings. But this is where it gets weird and nefarious and wicked, more so than what I just read, right? That's wicked. So there are all kinds of sex magic that are not meant to do that, not meant to do what? To do good. So for evil, they exist. And I don't care about them, or at least not today. I mean, we're dealing with demonic people here. Let's read that again. As it's understood here, sex magic is ritualized human sexuality meant to access divine power for good, so that there are all kinds of sex magics that are not meant to do that. To do what? To bring in the power of good. Actually, they're just bringing in demons, right? They exist, and I don't care about them, or at least not today. Hmm. All of this evil I bind in the name of Jesus Christ, and I loosen God's angels to take care of this, to judge people promoting this, and people that are victims of this. Folks, I pray these people repent and come to Christ. It's evil. It's wickedness, my friends. So if you're just listening to a podcast, I'm showing Penn State University. They're the ones that printed this nonsense. And you can find this in different search engines within academia, EDU. It's out there. They're promoting this nonsense, this witchcraft at colleges and universities. And again, it's going to find its way to high schools. If, it, if not already, I did a brief search. It's evil. It's evil, my friends. Now, what I want to read next talks about God's image and what God looks like and kind of bridging the gap between God. This is pure blasphemy. And again, you might want to not listen if this might offend you because it gets a little sexual, a little graphic. 
I thought, great, this is text about God's body. So she's reading some sort of ancient document. And then I thought, why is there a rainbow forming a house around it? And then I realized that the word for body here is often a euphemism for penis. And that house function the same way for the wife and vagina. Maybe a stretch, not sure. And so then when I saw the rainbow had folds and that it was sitting over the body, something definitely began to click. Yeah, your perversion. Namely, there's a tradition of not only divine embodiment, but since this one clearly has genitals, also divine gendering and by gendering to boot. So they're trying to put God into this androgynous figure, for lack of a better way to describe it. For more, and there's a tradition of intro-divine sexuality, and as the text tells us later, humans and angels watch. So now humans and angels are perverts watching God do his thing. And even more still, those who know this and recite the text daily get special powers like a handsome face and freedom from scorpions. No, I pray in the name of Jesus, people that chant this nonsense do not have a handsome face, that everything they think, the power that they get, is taken away. And again, if they repent and come to Jesus Christ. So this then was the end of Kabbalah's two bodies and the beginning of sex magic. Goes on to talk about God having sex with God. I mean, it's just weird. It's weird nonsense, my friends. Let's continue the freak show that we bind in the name of Jesus Christ, this Kabbalah sex magic. And now I'm going to talk about incest. And they tie it to Solomon. They tie a lot of this stuff to the book of Job. They try to bring the Bible in and just pervert it. It's evil, my friends. But let's read. Imagine this. You're a 10th century mystic. That's a witch, a warlock. Asked to smash your consciousness to smithereens. That reminds me of splitting personalities. Through imagining and thereby participating in an incestuous relationship between God, his daughter, wisdom, his son, Solomon, and thou. Not only that, this is an incestuous relationship is key to wisdom and to connection with the divine. And I'll read you something from the text. Wicked, they're promoting incest. In the beginning, God created heaven in the earth. Bereshit. The word sheet is nothing other than wisdom. It is thus written, the beginning is wisdom. The fear of God, wisdom is a blessing. It is thus written, and God blessed Solomon. It's furthermore written, and God gave wisdom to Solomon. He did. This resembles a king. This is a freak show right here. This resembles a king who marries his daughter to his son. Incest. He gives her to him at the wedding and says, do with her as you desire. (laughs) Thanks. This This is where this freak goes off. And I'm going to play her actually talking about this at a 1.5 speed. Let's continue with this freak show. So this human divine incest narrative is meant to blur the boundaries of social and cosmological categories, you think? And when this happens between human and divine, so that at least imaginatively human beings interact sexually with the divine. So they think they're having sex with higher powers. They're having sex with demons. They're bringing in demons, my friends. This is where this freak goes here for incest. This is the first example that includes non-divine participants in the act So are we meant to try this at home? Maybe. So what she's saying is, are we supposed to promote incest? I'd hate to be her on Judgment Day, my friends. Again, I bind everything that she does in the name of Jesus Christ. 
all her evil and anybody associated with this sex magic ritual may turn into a curse. And the blessing that I pray for them is that they come to Jesus Christ and think of all the victims with incest and all this dark magic. I mean, it's over the top, my friends. What's in store for these people if they don't repent? Deuteronomy 18, 10 through 12 states, there shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire. That's about sacrifice or that uses divination or an observer of times or an enchanter or a witch or charmer or a consulter with familiar spirits or a wizard or a necromancer. That's what they're doing here. It's witchcraft, my friends. For all that do these things basically is an abomination unto the Lord. All right, let's play this video. And again, I want to play it at 1.5 speed because it's just, it's just evil and it's a freak show. The amount of thought and engagement that everybody here has put into this conversation, and I'm very honored. So thank you. Um, so now I'm going to tell you a little bit about the book. So this book tells one key part of the history of Western sex magic. Um, there are a number of popular books, and thanks to Sarah, I know that there are so many articles now on sex magic, um, and it's practiced in many different settings. It's practiced in meetup groups, at retreats, by members of the Kabbalah Center, and even within the structures of traditional Orthodox marriage, um, Jewish marriage. But what is sex magic, and what does Kabbalah got to do with it? As it's understood here, uh, sex magic is ritualized human sexuality meant to access divine power for good. So, you know, there are all kinds of sex magic that are not meant to do that. They exist and I don't care about them, or at least not today. <laughs> so um, Freak. its ritual practices were based in conventional religious feelings of love between human and divine, but they add to that by imagining this love erotically. Um, the erotic dimension of human divine love is actually based in the Bible and its commentaries. Um, and that includes the Song of Songs, um, and other biblical narratives of divine creation by sexual reproduction, like in the book of Job. Um, and these, these were also quite common in ancient Middle Eastern myths. And although they're not always acknowledged by later interpreters, they are present just the same. Um, so these early myths were developed over time and space, and together they laid the groundwork for medieval and modern practitioners to imagine sexuality as a powerful tool for accessing divine creative power. So um, that said- Practitioners are witches. I kind of, I want to share with you that I did not write this book on purpose. Um, I began the project on the heels of my last book, Word and Image in Medieval Kabbalah, which focuses on diagrams of the fifth to seventh century Hebrew work, the Sefer Yitzhirah, or the Book of Creation, and also its commentaries. So this book is sort of an alternative creation story. It describes the creation of the universe um, by numbers, well, by, by the 22 Hebrew letters and by the 10 spheroes, which are unnamed and undefined in this text, right? Um, so according to this story, God carved the letters out of God's own body and then used them to make the human body. Once it became clear that people and God shared the letter substance of their bodies, for me at least, some big history of religion questions came up. Like if people thought that humans and God are made out of the same thing, what is the human body? Did they really think that God had a body? And what was the relationship between those two bodies? Um, and if they really thought that, like if they really believed in divine embodiment, why don't we still know about it? So um, I set out to write a book on human and divine embodiment with a boring title like, God's two bodies or Kabbalah's two bodies. Um, so, but appropriately enough for my um, my global gender and sexuality studies department, everything changed with a rainbow. <laughs> um, as I was beginning my research, I encountered this passage from the Shir Koma, which is um, the, um, it's like the measurement of the body, the, the, the divine body. Um, and it's a fifth to seventh century text that literally provides the names and the measurements of the divine body head to toe, or rather loins to toe and loins to head. Even more, it links this knowledge to power. So I thought it was a good place to start thinking about God's body. Um, so, and so now I'm gonna give you 
a little sample from that, right? So, so again, it describes the, the divine body part by part and names every part and measures it. So the name of his right knee is Satamnagats, and the name of his left knee is Pedangas. The name of the right thigh is Vihmai, and the name of the left thigh is Partmai. From his thighs until his neck is 240 million parasangs, and the name of the innermost part of his loins is Asasniki Yahu. Even more, the recitation of this liturgy transforms the operator, for the text makes some very big promises to those who recite it daily. It promises a shining face, a handsome body, the fear of others, a good reputation, peaceful dreams, a good memory for Torah, prosperity in this world, entree into the next, a good one, forgiveness for the sins of one's youth, freedom from the evil inclination, and safety from all sorts of demons, wild beasts, and scorpions. Okay? Please. Um, so this, these names clearly have power. Um, protective power, but other sorts as well. And now we come to our global gender and sexuality studies rainbow. Um, sections, so the middle part of this text, it says, his body resembles a bow. And the bow is something like a semblance of fire forming a house around it, okay? And then later in the text, it says, between one lightning bolt and another is the gateway of Hashemal, power. And above our spirits and thunderbolts and thunderclaps and lightning bolts and the folds of the rainbow and ropes of the divine seal ascending and descending in it. I thought, great, this is a text about God's body. And then I thought, huh, why is there a rainbow forming a house around it? And then I realized that the word for body here is often a euphemism for penis. And that house functions the same way for wife and vagina. And so then when I saw that the rainbow had folds and that it was sitting over the body, something definitely began to click. Namely, there's a tradition of not only divine embodiment, but since this one clearly has genitals, also divine gendering and bi-gendering to boot. Even more, that there's a tradition of interdivine sexuality. And as the text tells us later, humans and angels watch. So, and, and even more still, those who know this and recite the text daily get special powers, like a handsome face and freedom from scorpions. So this then was the end of Kabbalah's two bodies and the beginning of sex magic. So at this point, I'm going to give you a tiny taste of the book. Um, freak. She's a freak. And I hope I don't go too long. And if I do, you must stop me because, you know, that's how it is. Um, so I'm just going to read you a couple of samples from the texts um, and then we'll go from there. Um, so the first text we've just read from is the 5th to 7th century Shir Koma. The next is the 10th to 12th century Sefer Bahir, um, the Book of Clarity, which always makes me laugh because it's it's really not clear at all. Um, and the 13th century Zohar or the Book of Splendor and Moshe Corvero's 16th century Prayer of Moses, okay? So, and then if we have time, we'll talk about the, the thoughts of Sherry Winston, um, who is a contemporary um, teacher of sacred sexuality. Um, so for the first sample, we'll return to the Shirkoma and we'll examine a section that demonstrates the power of human observation of divine coitus. Um, and so this is what happens in this text. The text describes how the, the operator studied, memorized, prayed, recited a litany of divine names and a series of astronomically large measurements of the divine body, all memorized. He arrives at the highest heaven finally to witness with overwhelming emotions of awe and wonder, a celestial prayer service that ends in intra-divine coitus. And it's marked with a de declaration, the throne of glory is glistening. So it's quite an image. Um, and so despite its unusual centerpiece, the service shows a surprising resemblance to the earthly one in the description. But so if, if the, like if the practitioner can get this right, if he says these things every day, he's promised grace, beauty, knowledge, all these good things. Um, but the main thing is like, could this be, could it be that this happens every time that anybody says their prayers since they're almost exactly the same above as below? And, and what if it does? What if every time you say your prayers, God has sex with God's self, right? Next what if time. every time you um, say, Gosh. And I'll put you in the shoes of the op What if every time you say that prayer, God's having sex with himself? I mean, this is... Can't make this stuff up. And this is at Cornell, an Ivy League school. Imagine this. 
You are a 10th century mystic, asked to smash your consciousness to smithereens through imagining and thereby participating in an insidious relationship between God, his daughter wisdom, his son Solomon, and thou. Not only that, this incestuous relationship is key to wisdom and to connection with the divine. And I'll read you um, something from the text. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Reshit is Beit Reshit. The word Reshit is nothing other than wisdom. It is thus written. The beginning is wisdom, the fear of God. Wisdom is a blessing. It is thus written. And God blessed Solomon. It's furthermore written. And God gave wisdom to Solomon. This resembles a king who marries his daughter to his son. He gives her to him at the wedding and says, do with her as you desire. So this human divine incest narrative is meant to blur the boundaries of social and cosmological categories. And when this happens between human and divine, so that at least imaginatively, human beings interact sexually with the divine. This is the first example that includes non-divine participants in the act. So are we meant to try this at home? Maybe, <laughs> okay. Next example comes from the 13th century Zohar. Freak. Um, that's um, Zohar 337b. Imagine or pushing. And I remember seeing videos of Holly Weird where this mother was like making out with her kids. And remember that Angelie Jolie, really aggressive kiss with her brother. Is that what we're seeing here, my friends? Now picture this, there's a Kabbalist at midnight, imagining the sexual reunion of two painfully separated spherots or aspects of the divine, Tiferet and Shekinah, a married couple that represent the masculine and feminine aspects of God. And I'll read you the text. When a man cleaves to his mate and his desire is to receive her, he worships before the holy king and arouses another union. For the desire of the holy one, blessed be he, is to cleave to the community of Israel. For we have learned that as a result of the king's cohabitation with the assembly of Israel, large numbers of the righteous come into their sacred inheritance and a multitude of blessings are bestowed upon the world. Um, so imagine, putting yourself there again, imagine their trepidation as the Kabbalist and his wife, maybe they're both Kabbalists, begin the holy project of ending the exile of Shekinah, bringing her home and into sexual union with her husband, Tiferet. At the end, God again will be made whole, and maybe just maybe, blessings will once again flow freely to humankind. So here, I guess, we are meant to try this at home, and you know, maybe we're meant to save the world through ritualized sex. The whole cosmos. Um, I'm going to skip Moshe Cordero because he simply elaborates. Save the world through ritualized sex. Do you hear that? Save the world, repent, get saved, pray, pray for wisdom. It's demonic, my friends. Um, and if people want to ask about it or talk about it later, we can. And I'm going to move to Sherry Winston, who I interviewed in 2018. Um, and she is a teacher. She's a switch. Um, and she, she has imagined the ritual to, like she's kind of developing her own rituals as she goes. And usually they go like this. They consist of calling the four, four directions, drawing a sacred circle on the ground. And she says, well, if you want to try this at home, maybe you would build an altar of seashells, flowers, or another object, or maybe you're alone, maybe you're with a partner. But the main point is to create the sacred space, right? To put in the ritual objects that are meaningful to your intention. And then you're supposed to state your intention. Um, and for her, that those usually fall into categories of healing your own sexuality, um, to heal a relationship that's damaged, or to transform harmful social narratives about gender in the body, or to right social wrongs, right? Um, so the idea is that this ritual acts on the self, right? It acts on human relationships, but its version of saving the world is actually remedying harmful social narratives about embodiment and about sexuality. So I guess, you know, my question again is like, do we even need religion for this? Is this a religious ritual anymore? I don't know, okay? but it is the the end of the line, or at least the it's the current stop anyway, for the development of sex magic ritual. So all of these things that we've talked about, they're sex powered magic. And um, together, they 
like the early, they, they teach us a lot. Like the early examples show us just a little bit about the stages of development of sex magic. Um, and they show that in the, andro the, the kind of eroticized androgyny of the divine. And they show it in um, kind of elaborating myths of creation by means of intra-divine sexual reproduction. So those early myths show us that. And as time- It's Baphomet. She's talking about Baphomet, the goat god. If any of you have talked to a witch, I've seen a witch do her little ritual with a circle. She was outside my apartment complex and I was reading up on it and I knew exactly what she was doing. Goes on, we see that there's more and more room for human participation until it's almost entirely a human affair, right? So um, we see then that this sort of magic, sex magic, it has a history. Um, it's tied to our views of the world and how it works. Um, and that as our conception of the cosmology changes, are like what we want out of the ritual changes too. Um, and finally, we see that a closer look at the history of sex magic can show us how myths and rituals are constructed um, and, and how they change. So that's the story of my book. And I'm so excited to talk to you about it. Okay, I think it's my turn. Uh, thank you so much. That was, that was now this guy so, does uh, this all, recap and it's like just glorifying everything. You can tell he's smart. Get your kids out of this. And again, Cornell University, do me a favor, sign up for a newsletter at scottsjwellfire.com. I've actually been lazy with some of the VCAS. I haven't sent an alert out, but I don't want to be reliant upon the different platforms that I'm on, especially YouTube. I've, I've been so I've been struck so many times <laughs> in shadow band. Have a blessed day, folks. We'll see you.